comfortable Sadie is on the stage. Uh, that would just be amazing. Uh, Sadie, we will miss you. So I wanted to uh, highlight one other thing. You know, we're in the process of talking about the what and the when of when we're going to regather. We're really looking forward to that, but there's a little bit of time yet before we do, and so we know that we continue to be separated, and so as we're going into the summer, there is an opportunity to connect to some of our online groups. There will be groups for men and women that will be starting, and so through the, the eBlast, through the Church Center app, um, through our website, you can get to a form where you can fill out your interest. And I know it's a little different than how we typically do it because we usually have groups with dates, times, subjects, leaders, and all of that kind of thing. That's been a little bit more difficult to do um, in these days. And so what we're actually doing is having you just say, Here's, here are days and times that work for me. And uh, we will organize groups around that. They will primarily be emphasizing community and connection. There will be studies too, but we will group you and uh, the group will decide what you're going to do. So we hope to start those in about a week. So we'd love to have you sign up really soon so we can begin to organize those. Well, on Thursday, we posted a link to a Facebook blog post written by Kevin Complin. Kevin is the Evangelical Free Church of America president. That's the denomination of which we are a part. The blog post was entitled, Once Again, Racism Necessitates a Response. He wrote it on May 8th in light of the killing of Ahmad Arbery. Two days ago, we all witnessed the horror of another unarmed black man killed in Minneapolis as a police officer placed his knee on his neck, choking him to death. In light of these things, we want to pray. But before I do, I want to read one paragraph from uh, Kevin's blog post because he wrote it about Ahmaud Arbery, but it applies to George Floyd and all others who we've tragically lost in this way. Compline writes this, Sadly, this tragedy seems all too familiar. It is not acceptable that unjust killings of this nature continue to happen in America. We need to acknowledge what's true. Something is wrong. What happened in Georgia once again highlights a deeper issue of racial injustice in our country. Asian Americans have increasingly experienced racist behavior because of COVID-19. Immigrants fear long-term repercussions from limitations regarding legal immigration. Racism has not ended in our nation. It is here and now. And so we pray. Will you join me? Father, our hearts are weary and our minds are troubled as we worship this morning. We have once again seen the evils of injustice and racism create fear and take away precious life in our nation. The names of Ahmad Arbery and George Floyd have been on our lips and in our prayers this week. We've experienced horror and heartbreak and anger and even shame as we've witnessed their unjust deaths. We've wept for their families. We've cried out for change. We felt helpless. We felt afraid. We've echoed the words of the psalmist, How long, O Lord? We long to feel the warmth of your face, your favor, your grace shining on us once again. In these moments, Lord, we come to you with great need. Some of us come for comfort, knowing all too well how it feels to fear the dangers of racism 
and the weight of injustice. Draw near to us now, Lord. Remind us of your great love. Be our shield, be our security, be our hope. Some of us come for confession, admitting that we have played a part that we should not have played in perpetuating racism in our nation. Help us to name our sins, to seek forgiveness, and teach us to take on the work of repentance. Some of us come with a longing to do something, to change something, to take up the cause of reconciliation. Teach us to listen. Teach us to take action wisely. Teach us to act in love. Teach us to be bold for the truth and uncompromising in our commitment to protecting and cherishing and celebrating the beauty of the image of God in every single human being from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Some of us just simply come not knowing what we need, but knowing that the only way forward is to first sit at the foot of the cross and in the presence of Christ, waiting for the blessing of clarity and peace. Come, Holy Spirit, in these moments, speak to each of us as we need. Christ, and by the power of his life, death, and resurrection, we proclaim that racism and injustice have no place in the lives of those who love God. We affirm the worth, dignity, and infinite value of every human being made in the image of God. We lament the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and many others we know have been victims of crimes that went unseen and unpunished. We ask for you to lead us in becoming as passionate as you are for justice. We ask for a heart like yours. And above all else, we eagerly ask that you would come, Lord Jesus. Return to this earth. Show us what real reconciliation looks like in your glory. Until that time, help us to be peacemakers and justice seekers and gospel proclaimers. In Christ's powerful and precious name we pray. Amen. James 4, 13 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Hey, Janie, thanks for that. You know, one of the things I miss on Sunday morning is Janie bouncing in with her family at 8 o'clock, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again here in this building, Janie, your parents too, but uh, really look forward to seeing, seeing you. So earlier this week, I did a, a Google search on the phrase business planning, business planning. How many hits do you think I got? It's kind of hard to get some feedback because y'all are out there, you're not in here, but uh, over 4 billion hits. I went over to Amazon then and, and searched the same phrase to see how many book titles there would be by the same, uh, you know, from business planning. Over 70,000 books written on the topic of business 
planning. There's a lot of information out there about planning. If you're in business, at some level, uh, planning is important, right? I mean, there's a reason there's so many books. There's a reason that uh, there are so many websites. Uh, it's important. People need to do it. And uh, whether or not you're in, in business, uh, planning is something we all do at some level. I spent a lot of time planning for the ministries I lead. I was in a meeting earlier today where we're planning about what is it going to look like to, to begin to gather here and open for Sunday worship. Um, we plan personally, right, for things like our academic career. We plan for our, for our career. We plan vacations. We plan things related to our families and many other things. Planning is simply a part of life. In the passage that we're looking at today in James 4 that Janie read, James is going to talk about planning. And he's specifically addressing planning related to those who are in business. And his desire is that when it comes to business, that we would plan with God in mind. Now, he's talking about that group of people, but the principles that we're going to look at today that James talks about here, they will apply widely to any kind of planning. But James is specifically addressing a subset of his audience, merchants that were involved in planning. So I do want to let the text speak first and foremost to those of you who are in business, who own your businesses, and then secondly, for the rest of us. And so James, he begins by, by confronting a wrong attitude in our planning. Wrong attitude in our planning. So James 4, starting verse 13. He says, come now, you who say, and, and when he says come now, it's, it's sort of like listen up, pay attention. I mean, it's a pretty strong call to listen to what he's going to say. And so he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and we'll engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And so the wrong attitude that James is confronting here is, is planning without reference to God. Uh, the, the people he's speaking here about, they had it all figured out apart from God. I mean, they know when. It's, it's today and tomorrow. They know, they know where they'll go. They're going to go to such and such city. They know how long. We're going to spend a year there. They know what they're going to do. We will engage in business, and they're confident in the results. We will make a profit. Now, for any of you who are business owners here at Faith, um, I'm guessing that for most of you, you've had to develop a business plan, right? I mean, you've had to develop strategy. It's just part of, of the deal. You've had to think through some of the very things that, these, that, that James is talking about, the who's and the when's and the what's and the why's and all of those kind of things, strategy, details. Let me be clear. James is not confronting planning. James is not confronting strategy. James is not even confronting a desire to make a profit. He's not saying anything is wrong with these things. What he's confronting is an attitude in which our plans are made without God in mind. James is addressing people. They might gather and for worship on Sunday morning, but when it comes to how they approach the rest of the week, their business, the rest of the week. God has no part of it. They plan without reference to God. And, and they're, self, they're so self-confident. They, they, they know what the next year is going to look like, and yet James says, you don't even know what tomorrow is going to be like. You don't know what your life is going to be like tomorrow. I remember uh, well, the, the spring, our, our second son, Philip, graduated with a second degree from, from KU. And I remember about probably February 
thinking to myself about Philip, I was thinking, this is a great time for Philip to be graduating from college. Unemployment was record lows. And like, there just has got to be great jobs out there for Philip. And here we are, three months later, and I heard today, 40 million people have now filed for unemployment. And unemployment is, is now at the like, depression era levels. We do not know what life will be like tomorrow. There's one good thing that COVID-19 has done in my life is to remind me that I am not in control. We are not in control. See, these business people that James is talking about, they failed to understand that they were not in control. And they failed to understand how fleeting life could be. James says, you, you, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away, just like gone. James is emphasizing the brevity of life. You're a vapor. This is a biblical view of life. It is short. It is very short. But James is not making any statement about your value. The scriptures are clear that you're incredibly valuable. You are made in the image of God. You are an eternal being. But in this world, your life is short. It's like a vapor. And since this is true, and since we do not know what tomorrow will bring, we need to bring some humility to our planning. We are not ultimately in control of life. We are not ultimately in control of our plans. And so, therefore, any approach to planning that leaves God out of the picture as one who is in control is a wrong approach. So James goes on to explain what a right approach towards planning looks like. He says this in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or do that. You can plan. James says you can plan. He says you can say we, we will live and we are also going to do this and we're going to do that. I mean, he's talking about planning there. But he's advocating an attitude of humility where we remember who is ultimately in charge. And we have this attitude, if the Lord wills, I will do these things. You know, if you read through uh, the Bible and, and look at the Apostle Paul about his life in Acts, or if you read things that he wrote, uh, Paul made plans. Paul was strategic, and he strategized, and, and he wasn't passive. I mean, he, he had some strategic plans, but he always planned with humility. He always had with this, if the Lord wills, attitude. And uh, there's a number of places you see this, but Acts 18, 21 is, is really reflective of his approach. He said this, but Acts says this, but taking leave of them and saying, I, Paul, will return to you again if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And so Paul planned, um, but he did so with a clear acknowledgement that God was in charge. And that's what James is going for in our planning, a heart attitude that says, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I understand that I am not in charge of the days of my life. And so in light of these realities, here's what I plan to do if the Lord wills. Now, he's not talking about just a rote recitation of that phrase like, okay, develop your strategic plan and at the end of it, stamp if the Lord wills at the bottom. He's talking about a heart attitude that, that, that really sees it that way. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. I hear some of us say that sometimes. I'll, I'm going to do this if the Lord wills. That's our heart attitude. It is great to say it, but, but it's about the heart attitude that he is going for here. And so whether you're planning for your business or doing any other kind of planning, this is planning with God in mind, this, this humility. Now, as you come to verse 16, James circles back 
to the wrong attitude that these merchants were expressing. And he gets really to the heart of the matter, and that is to plan without God in mind. It's really arrogant. It's arrogant. Verse 16. So he's saying, you ought to say it this way. You ought to think this way. Verse 16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The NIV translates this phrase, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And so their schemes, their plans, they were arrogant because they were made apart from God. And so he's saying you're developing these plans independent of God, and then you're actually boasting about them. They're boasting about what they would accomplish this next year without keeping in God in mind, without even knowing what tomorrow will bring. James is talking about an attitude of self-exaltation, an, an attitude where it's all about me, it's trumpeting what I can do. And when you make plans apart from God and then boast in those plans, it's just arrogant. And, and James says it's not just a little problem. James says this is evil. It's evil. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, when, J- when Steve preached on the first part of James 4, we looked at James 4, 6. You know, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so where do you think God is with this when we have a, a proud, arrogant approach to our planning? God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So James is appealing for these merchants to, to turn from the arrogance, to humble themselves, to keep God in mind as they plan that they might experience God's grace. That's what he's talking about. Now, as you come to verse 17, James states a general principle. He says this, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So this is a, a, a principle that applies real broadly. And he's saying sin is not just the committing of a wrong. It's the failure to do what you know to be right. And, and that applies to all things that we know to be right, right? In the context, I think it's all that he's talked about here in, in James chapter 4. It certainly applies to the passage that we're looking at tonight or to this morning about planning. To fail to do what he's talking about is sin. And so, for those of you in business, James is very clear that the right thing for you to do, the right approach is to plan humbly with God in mind. To plan without God in mind. To plan apart from God is arrogant. It is sin. A few days ago, I reached out to a number of the men and women here at Faith who own their own businesses to hear kind of from them how they, they work this passage out in their lives. What, what does it look like for them to keep God in mind as they plan? And so I just uh, invited them to share, and I got a lot of great thoughts back from a number of people, and I, I want to share some of their thoughts. For those of you who are in business, I think the things that they will share will be incredibly helpful, but for the rest of us, all the rest of us, the, the principles still hold true for any kind of planning. Um, Before I share some of the specifics of how they plan with the Lord in mind, I found it very interesting that most of them express that this is really hard, that they really struggle with this. It is not easy to plan with the Lord in mind. Uh, There's battles with with pride. There's there's desires to hold tightly to the control. Um, There's a sense of, if if I don't, I mean, it's on me. Success and failure is on me. Um, They talked about dealing with motives to grow their business and struggling with, is that really about God's glory and about being generous or is it about my own greed? 
And I just share this just to say that this is not easy to, to figure out our motives and, and sort through these things. It is, it is difficult to plan with the Lord in mind. It's a constant battle because of our own brokenness. It's a constant battle because of the world we live in. Most people around us do not plan with the Lord in mind. We get sucked up in that. So it's a struggle. It's hard. But the battle is worth it. Okay, so here are some of the things that they shared about how they plan with the Lord in mind. One thing they shared really loud and clearly was the need to surrender their business to God. One person said this, It took sleepless nights full of fear and anxiety to show me that I wasn't in control. I had to get to a place where I surrendered my business to God and allowed Him to be in charge of it. That's something I have to do very regularly, and it helps me keep that, that attitude if the Lord wills. I've had times in recent years where work has dried up, and I've been faced with the reality that I didn't have any more for my guys to do. Surrendering my business to God has given me freedom and peace that He gets to be in charge and will ultimately provide for me whatever that looks like. A little later, he said, I think ultimately for me, all of it comes down to the idea of surrendering my business to God daily and allowing Him access to everything that is involved with how I operate my business. Several of, of the people actually talked about the, the image of an, like open-handedness with their, their business, the, the picture of what surrender looks like. One woman said this, I think of the analogy of open hands quite a bit. I plan for it and I work hard toward the future like it's certain, but try to focus on the present and hold every plan with an open hand, trusting that the Lord is good and He'll provide and He'll guide me even if my plans fail. And so this, this idea of surrendering uh, the business to God. Another thing they mention, and it's, it's sort of like surrender, but maybe a little different nuance, and that is that they see their business as a stewardship from God. They understand that the business is, is God's, not theirs. They're called to steward well what God has given to them. One person said this, I have an opportunity to serve God in the management of a business that we've been given, to tend for Him. This is God's garden. I'm a steward. I'm reminded that this is my occupation, not my identity. This is my job, not my life. We are here for a season and then our time will cease. This takes a lot of the worry and the burden from our shoulders. Part of what it means for these people, that as they're sharing, what it means that it's a stewardship is, is that they have this concern of what God himself is wanting to do in and through their their business. They, they talked about how as stewards of their business, that their desire is more than just being profitable. It's about being blessed to be a blessing. It's about how they, they love people and can care for people, both employees and, and people they serve through their business. And so, so surrendering their business, stewarding their business. Another thing that was shared over and over again about how they involved God in their plans was seeking God through prayer. Seeking God through prayer. One said this, Involving God looks like a lot of prayer. The two of us independently praying and then reconvening. Praying over the clients when we know what life struggles or celebrations they face. One spouse wrote this about her, her husband. She, she wrote, over the years, he has been able to embrace how God has wired him as a strategic thinker who sets goals and priorities for our business. However, he does so prayerfully and he asks God to open and shut doors even to protect him from himself and his ambitions, if need be. He goes ahead and he puts in proposals, but prays that God would shut the door and make it clear if he's not to submit it. 
He's negotiated larger equipment purchases while asking God to guide him to know whether or not to make these purchases. Often, if he has a particularly puzzling problem to solve, he will ask God for creative problem solving. He's had times where God will give him a crazy idea shortly after prayer like that that's actually worked. It's been really cool to see. Recently, we had an opportunity to put in a proposal for, for work that my husband's really super excited about. It seems like he continues to put these longings before God with an open hand. Yes, I really want this, but you know, God, if this is right for us to be doing this work, your will be done. So they pray. They pray the big picture. They pray through the dailies of it. Another thing that was shared was seeking biblical wisdom. Seeking biblical wisdom. One, uh, one man sent me a document that he has developed over the years with all the scriptures that he has used to guide his business decisions. Uh, wisdom that he has found out of the scriptures. And, and he has a document that he can refer to as they are making decisions to guide them. And you know, if, if we're going to if we're going to plan with God in mind, obviously we have to have God shaping our mind too, right? I mean, we have to be taking on the mind of Christ. We need to allow uh, Scripture to form and shape our thinking. How can we kind of go with God and, and do it according to His will if we're not allowing Him to shape who we are? And so we, they seek biblical wisdom. Another shared how important it has been for him to seek wise counsel. He wrote this. I've utilized a business coach for the past three years who's been more of a counselor mentor than anything. He's always asking me questions about my business that help turn my heart towards God and what he wants for my life. That for sure has been helpful in my business planning. You know, one of the, the verses in that document that I just mentioned that the one gentleman had sent to me was is Proverbs eleven fourteen, and it, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there's no guidance, the people fall, but in the abundance of counselors there's victory. In the abundance of counselors, there is victory. And this man is saying, I, I need a counselor. I need someone to ask me great questions. And that has helped him plan with the Lord in mind. Do you have people that ask you great questions, godly people that can mentor you and ask questions to guide you as you seek to plan keeping God in mind? Now, there were a lot of other things um, they shared, but I know you don't want to Watch this broadcast the rest of the morning. So that's all the five um, that I'm going to share. Surrender, stewardship, prayer, biblical wisdom, wise counsel. That's helpful for all of us in our planning, right? Whether we're talking about business or any other endeavor, these things help us plan with God in mind. Now, I didn't ask for it, but, but most of these men and women shared that the struggle to plan in this way and to lead their business in this way, it has ultimately been worth it. They, they talked about how as they've surrendered their business to God, as they've seen it, that they are stewards, as they've sought to keep Him in mind and Him in the center of it. They, they, they over and over again talked about the peace and the freedom that they've experienced. They've, they've talked about how the, the pressure is off, how they've found freedom from worry and burden as they've sought God in their planning. One thing they didn't say, however, is that planning with God in mind always means success. In fact, one made the point very directly that, that what he has learned in the, the course of his business career is a lot of times how he defines success and how God defines success have been very different things. 
Another man said that he was literally ready to push send on his email to me, the, sh- the thoughts that he was going to share. And right before he sent that email to me, he had a, one of his employees contact him and a source of income that was going to be really important for their business had just gone away, wasn't going to happen. And it was a, it was a critical piece of income to, for them in terms of trying to survive this economic downturn. This is a man who is doing the very things that, that we're talking about this morning. He has planned with the Lord in mind, and yet he's not sure his business will survive. He was gracious enough to share a note with me that he had shared with his family a couple months ago as all this was blowing up. Um, sent this to his kids and their spouses. In that note, he wrote how much he loves his company, how, how he's loved how it's been able to help people. He's talked about the blessing and joy of the people he's gotten to know and people he's been able to help. He wrote about the difficult actions he's had to take to try to survive this economic downturn. And at the very end of this note, he, he, he wrote this to his family. And, and I share this. I, I quote from what he said. He said this to his family. Three truths that I hope we all can remember. Number one, compared to eternity, this world is a matchhead. Our short lives here on earth are just a flash when compared to our eternal, lavish, glorious time in heaven. Number two, I can't earn Grace, because my identity is already in Christ, my brother, the royal son of God. With Christ, we have full fellowship with the king of kings. He was judged for our sin. He did that for each of us. Our financial success doesn't reflect God's grace or necessarily our performance. Number three, the opportunity is available for us to bring Christ's love into others' lives. God's paths aren't always or aren't usually about us. They're about the beautiful orchestra of his sovereignty and how others can know these three truths. Just because our business might fail doesn't mean that God wasn't in it, though it's easy to feel that way. I love you all, and I can't tell you how much I hope these three truths are part of your life and the lives of those you love. Dad. I love that. This is a man who understands who is in control. He sees the big picture that our lives here on earth are so fleeting, but there's this glorious, eternal heaven that awaits us, and he sees his business in that context. He understands that whether his business succeeds or not, he has an opportunity to bring Christ's love to others. This is a person that gets it. This is a person who is planning with God in mind. This is a person I'm praying for. And uh, actually, I want to pray as we close for all of you who are in business. Um, I know some of these these are really hard days. I know some have already lost your business. And uh, so I'm hoping you're encouraged by his words. But I want to pray for you. We together as a church want to pray for you. Will you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we thank you so much for our lives in this world and the things that you give us to do. And God, for some of us, our calling has been to, to start a business or to take over a business, to run a business. And these are days where that is really, really hard. God, we come to you asking for your grace for every 
person, part of faith. We, we pray for the largest, larger business community here in Manhattan. God, that in your grace, you would, you would allow their businesses to survive. God, we pray for, for our friends here in this church, our brothers and sisters, that you would let them, through the midst of it, uh, experience your grace and your guidance and your wisdom as they have to make difficult uh, decisions. God, we pray for each one that they would, in these days, that they would conduct themselves in a way that glorifies you. And that they could really understand that whether their business succeeds or not, that God, you, even in maybe failure, you have been in it. But God, we pray that they, their, their businesses would be preserved, the jobs would be preserved. God, for all of us as we plan, may we be people who do so, keeping you in mind that we would have this, if the Lord wills, attitude. And God, we need your help in this. We're stubborn, we're sinful, we're broken. Please help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.